So uh, tonight we are uh, going to do a little bit of a preview. Our, uh, our character that we're studying on Sunday is Thomas. Now, what is he known for? Doubting. Doubting. Well, I want to submit to you that he got a bad rap. Uh, I I want to I want to suggest that maybe he he that that he was just an honest cynic <laughs> that uh, like many of us a skeptic, and uh, so I want to do a little bit of a a biography on Thomas. We don't know much about him. Um, he's one of the twelve in the Synoptic Gospels. He is only mentioned in lists. So there's no personal word about Thomas at all. It's here are the apostles and it lists them and he's one of them. Now he had a, a nickname, um, the twin. His name was Didymus. And um, we'll get more in that in a minute, but uh one writer suggested that it wasn't really a nickname. It was just the way his name was in Aramaic as opposed to Greek. That Thomas would be his Greek name. Didymus would be his name in Aramaic. Either way, his name was the twin. And uh, in more uh, literal translations of the scripture, it doesn't even name him as Thomas. It just calls him the twin. And so um, we're going to dive in just a little bit. He's only mentioned eight times. Uh, four of those are lists. But um, John spends a little bit of time with him, and that uh, that intrigues me. Um, let's see. What do we know about Thomas. Um, so big picture, he's known for doubting. Uh, he's also known for the story we mentioned a couple of weeks ago in uh, Lazarus, chapter 11 in John, where uh, they are in uh, Bethany by the Jordan. They're away from the city of Jerusalem, ostensibly for safety. And uh, uh, Thomas uh, responds to Jesus saying, let's go back to Judea. Our, our friend Lazarus needs us. And he said, uh, it's not safe. Or the disciples said, isn't that where they just tried to stone you? And Jesus said, time to go. And Thomas said, okay, then let's all go and die. So... Um, We'll talk about that more in just a second. That sounds to me like something one of y'all would have said. Absolute sarcasm. And I love it. Um, so interestingly enough, his name is the twin, but we don't know who his twin is. Uh, now, there is a false gospel called the Gospel of Thomas. We've talked about this a little bit in here, but not a whole lot. In the third and fourth centuries after Christ, there were some volumes that uh, were written that um, were either 
kind of tribute pieces to some of the disciples, or they were just made up stuff. Um, I don't know if anybody has ever heard of the uh, Nag uh, Hammadi, uh, the uh, little town in Egypt where there were a lot of these uh, extra biblical books found, and in particular, the Gospel of Thomas. It's a Coptic manuscript that was found in 1945 <laughs> at Nag Hammadi in Egypt. The manuscript contains 114 sayings <laughs> that supposedly were attributed to Jesus. Now, there's a lot of problems with it. I'm not going to spend much time with it, other than it uh, allegedly provided some details about Thomas's life that we don't have from the scripture and we don't know from others. Now, the the gospel was rejected as inspired. It was not included in the Bible or the canon. It was it was rejected by all of the early councils that uh, that discerned uh, what was inspired, what was uh, the the inspired word of God, and what was not. Um, you know, there are some other books that uh, are in this category. Did any of you grow up in a Catholic tradition? The Apocrypha that's in the back of the Catholic Bible has some more of these, the uh, the Maccabees and Judith and Esdras and Tobit and some of the other extra biblical books that were not considered inspired, so they were not concluded in the canon. Well, the Gospel of Thomas was one of those that didn't even make it into the Catholic Apocrypha. So interesting, however. Um, now, do I need to go back over real quick why those kinds of books are rejected? Um, they, the, the, the general tests are these. Was the author an apostle or did the author have a close connection with an apostle? Now, because this was written in the third or fourth century, it, it had no connection with Jesus directly or an apostle. Was the book accepted by the body of Christ at large? Well, nobody had ever heard of it until it was unearthed in 1945. And so the Gospel of Thomas was not in use by the early church at all. Third, does the, does the book contain consistency of doctrine? The best way to interpret scripture is other scripture. And there are some inconsistencies in the Gospel of Thomas that are problematic. Four, does the book bear evidence of high moral and spiritual values that would reflect the work of the Holy Spirit? One of the interesting things about the Gospel of Thomas is that it treats itself as a secret, as, as superior knowledge that's to be revealed only to a very few. And as we know, that is the uh, one of the characteristics of the Gnostic heresies of the second and third centuries. And so this, this idea of secrecy is uh, uh, completely foreign 
to uh, to the inspired word. So um, it 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 is interesting in that it has created a lot of discussion. For instance, his name is the twin, and some have uh, elaborated on the Gospel of Thomas to mean that he was the twin of Jesus. Well, we know that's not true. Uh, or the twin of one of Jesus's brothers, maybe Judas, uh, Jesus's brother, uh, had a twin. Wasn't he half? Uh, like a half brother? Well, obviously, yeah. Uh, yeah, his dad was God. So uh, Joseph's and <laughs> Joseph and Mary's children, I guess, would be half brothers. Um, they didn't have the same dad. We'll just leave it at that. Um, but we know that Jesus had uh, four or five brothers. James was his half-brother. Judas or Jude was his half-brother. Uh, but we don't know anything about Thomas being a, a, a twin of one of the half-brothers. We, we just know that he was one of the disciples. He was one of the twelve. Um, probably from Galilee. All of the disciples were from that area, although the Gospel of Thomas uh, suggested that he was from uh, somewhere else. Um, and then his death was suggested in the Gospel of Thomas that he died as an, an, a missionary to India um, somewhere around um, 75, I think. No. Yeah, around 75. Uh, let me make sure. Let me make sure that I don't I don't get that wrong. I wrote that somewhere that he went to India. Uh, yeah, that comes from the extra biblical writings. There's, of course, uh, nothing in the, the scripture that talks about it at all. Um, if he but, died in 75, I mean, what, 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 Matthew, the youngest apostle? Or probably Mark was the, so the youngest. Yeah, uh, I, I would, um, I it thought I had that in my notes. It doesn't matter. Um, it matters. Sure, it's, it's the stuff you get in here and nowhere else. What's the uh, John, yeah, in John. the date that Thomas uh, was alleged to die? Um, Seventy-two A.D. Um, allegedly, he died. He was martyred in uh, Milpur, India, according to Syrian Christian tradition, July third, seventy-two A.D. Wow. You heard it first here. Repaint and thin no more. <laughs> All right. So it really is important to kind of go, okay, it's it it it's common that when we read somebody that, that interests us, or when somebody gives us a little detail that's just a little more, we know very little about Bartholomew, hardly anything about Nathaniel. These, these are 12 that walked with Jesus for three years. And because John gives us two little partial, well, three partial uh, dialogues with Thomas, 
we develop a little bit of a, a portrait about him. And again, the purpose of our series is not to go, oh, what fun facts can we dredge up about Thomas? But how do we describe the transformation that took place when Jesus encountered him? And so on Sunday, I'm going to talk about all three of these encounters, but let's briefly look at John chapter 11. John chapter 11. I thought I'd written it here in John 20, John 20, 24. Yep, we're going to get there. Okay. Yep, just... three, three stories that sort of uh, paint a little bit of a picture. So... At the end of John chapter 10, as we talked about two weeks ago, Jesus and the disciples went to the other side of the Jordan because it had just gotten a little too hot in Jerusalem. So they escaped the religious persecution because it was not yet time. And so Jesus took the disciples on the other side of the Jordan. While they were there, they got the news that Lazarus was sick. Jesus already knew, he said plainly, Lazarus is dead, but they were still going to return to Judea or Jerusalem in order to minister to the family. So in John 11, uh, verse 14, Jesus told the disciples plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Jesus prefaced the the conversation by saying, we're going to go back, and I'm glad I wasn't there. You're going to see something incredible. Thomas replied, let us also go that we may die with him. Two ways to look at that. Either it's sarcasm. Or it's just courage. Um, It's almost, and 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 I'll say this Sunday, it's almost as if John, if, if, if John is telling us that Thomas understands that his faith is in a person. It's not in a cause. It's not in a crusade. It's not in a religion. It's in a person. And so it's as if Thomas is saying, I would rather go to danger with him than be in safety without him. It's like he expected Jesus to die and he didn't want him to die alone. Right. And, and he was willing to die with him yeah. if that's what it took. And so the we, we can see that, that if, if we just take it at face value, which I, I think is one way to look at it, I, I think it's a, an appropriate way to look at it, although... We know enough of Thomas to uh, to surmise that maybe sarcasm would not have been out of his uh, wheelhouse. So we begin to get a, a profile, and that profile is rooted in his relationship with Jesus. He'd been traveling with him for three years at this point. He had seen him do miracles. He had not seen resurrection. That's what they were going to do. But either a statement of a little bit of skepticism or a statement of incredible courage. He said, 
Let's go to Jerusalem and die with him. Okay. When Jesus, I know he's with. Can him. you guys hear Skip? He was. I'll repeat his. I'll repeat his I was question. Saying that he was with Jesus before he was, you know, like in the um, Last Supper. Oh yeah. But then he scat. But then when he was taken prisoner, when Jesus was taken prisoner by the whatever, and they all did. Everybody yeah. scattered. Yeah, they all scattered. They were all nearby. To the upper room until a lot, a lot later. That you know, was we're we're going to get there. Uh, I don't. We don't know why Thomas wasn't there initially. Um, all the disciples had been together. They had reassembled after the resurrection. But let's get there in a minute. Excuse me. My footnote says that he could have possibly been the uh, twin of Matthew because of their name. Names being linked, but you discount that because you didn't bring that up, and it doesn't matter. It's possible. Okay. Uh, um, Nancy said that a footnote in her Bible said another suggestion is that the twin meant he was the twin of Matthew, the tax collector, because it says like Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, right? So it pairs them in the in the list. Two more scriptures. But there's other yeah. places where you do see pairings. James and John, Peter and Andrew. Yeah, if that's the case. It's curious that that wouldn't have been well. And and Philip and Bartholomew were always mentioned together because they were, or Philip and Nathaniel. Okay, because well, they were they were good friends. I I I don't I don't. It, it's very possible that they were brothers. Uh, you know, obviously the pattern of choosing disciples. Jesus chose. James and John were brothers. Peter and Andrew were brothers. It, it would not be out of the range of possibility. We just don't have evidence. Okay, thank you. It doesn't matter. I'm sorry I mentioned it. Too. So, but I do have, wait, Alan, I do have a question before you move on. So you right. said it's either, he was either being sarcastic, which I understand that I have a bent toward sarcasm myself, <laughs> or, or what? Courageous. Courage. Okay, thanks. Yeah, he was he was simply affirming Nicola that uh, he didn't want Jesus to die alone. Okay. All right. So the next time we see or hear of Thomas, and and again, all the details are only in John's gospel, and John is always trying to look behind the events to the to the why and so it's as if he's giving us for me a little glimpse of myself he's giving me a character that i can relate to you know when when peter says i'll never deny you that's the kind of bluster that i'd probably do um you know ready fire aim kind of thing when he says there's a guy that doesn't buy into conspiracy theories. He's slow to believe the latest rumor. He's not going to buy anything off late night television. He's 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 a uh, what they would call a a late adopter. Uh, not going to grab onto the latest fads. That's that's Thomas. We all know him. We recognize ourselves in him. Okay, here's the latest rumor. Well, let's just kind of 
take that with a grain of salt. Here's the here's here's what I think happened. Okay, did you see the UFO? Okay, I know who shot John F. Kennedy. I know who all was in the conspiracy. Yeah, okay. So Thomas was one of those that would be uh, a little uh, skeptical. Doubter. And and we we get a little bit of that here. And so Jesus is starting to use the language of departure. Uh, you know, when when your kid goes to college or it's time for the relatives to head on home after Christmas dinner, uh, you, the language is, well, it's time to go, better get on the road. And Jesus was starting to use some of that language with the disciples. And so in John 14, he says, guys, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many spaces, many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go there to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also, I will come back and get you, my paraphrase. Thomas said, wait, 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 wait. Where are you going again? Uh, what, 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 how, can we, how can we get there if we don't know the destination? If you're not going to tell us the address, if you're not going to tell us where you're going, how can we possibly get there? He said, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Now, John, I'm going to take an extra minute because I'm maybe running a little ahead. How absurd is it to think that you could know the way without knowing the destination? What what scripture are you? John 14, 5. I'm going, Thomas is right. That's absurd. And then I thought about every time you and I get in a car and we punch in something on Google Maps and we have no idea where we're going or what it looks like, we just blindly follow whatever the phone tells us to do. And that's kind of what Thomas was saying. You expect us to just blindly follow without knowing where you're going? How, how can we get there? And you remember what we said about if the statement in John 11 was a courageous one. It was because he put his faith in a person, not in a religion. Well, now Jesus is going to remind him of that. I'm going somewhere and I've got a, a, I'm preparing a place for you to go with me. I could take a long time to explain this scripture. I think I have in the past the comparison here is a Jewish wedding where the, the groom would prepare the bride, a bridal chamber, uh, build a room on the side of the father's house, and that's where they would consummate the marriage. That's where they would uh, begin their life together as husband and wife. And so if the bride of Christ is the church, the imagery here is to say in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go there to prepare a place for you that in the marriage feast, in the in the marriage feast of the lamb, the church will be received into the father's house. But he was also talking individually to the disciples. 
So he said, I'm going somewhere. Thomas said, how can we get there if we don't know the way? Jesus reminded him, it's not a place, it's a person. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so Jesus reminds him and us, all of us that are that try to, to place our, our faith in a program or a church or a pastor or a life group or a Bible study class or a or whatever it is, we we tend to to try to place our faith in the tangible. But Jesus reminds us it's a person. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And if we take Jesus's response at face value, truth and life modify way. Because Thomas asked him a directional question. He gave him a directional answer. I am the way, the way of truth, the way of life. I am the direction you need to head, but I am the way of uh, truth, all truth, God's truth. I am the way of life, eternal life. And so he continues in that discussion. He switches over to uh, talk with Philip. But uh, let's go over to John chapter 20 and get the last story that we have of Thomas. And then I'll turn it over to John. So after the resurrection takes place, as Skip pointed out, when Jesus was arrested after Malchus got his ear cut off, and return to its rightful place. Uh, all the disciples fled. It says that in John 18. They all took off. We know that only John is mentioned to have been at the cross. We, we assume that there were some others at the fringes. But we know that John was at the foot of the cross. Because from the cross, Jesus said to him, Mary is your mother, and he said to Mary, John is your son. And so we think that all of them fled, even John, but John was there at the cross. So we also know that on the night of the resurrection, Easter night, Jesus appeared to the disciples. He appeared to the, the two on the Emmaus Road. And then he appeared to the disciples, but Thomas wasn't there. So uh, that's verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, uh, the disciples were there, uh, but Thomas wasn't there. Verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, verse 25, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Again, the skeptic. Eight days later, which likely means the following Sunday, 
So the next Sunday night, they were together again. Thomas was now with him. We don't know why he wasn't with him before. We can't read anything into it. Uh, we, we can't say that he was afraid. They were all afraid. They were, they were gathered inside locked doors. Maybe he was looking after something else. Maybe we don't know. But he was with them eight days later. And again, the doors were locked. Jesus stood among them. He said to them, peace be with you. Same thing he said the week before. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand, place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. We don't know if Thomas ever did it or not. We assume all of our readings, we've always assumed that that he poked his finger into a hole, in, but we don't know. It doesn't say he did. Interestingly <laughs> enough, the Catholic tradition is that he did because it uh, comes into the idea that the good works are part of the salvation. The Protestants believe that he didn't because you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and no action is necessary. So the, the, the theological takeaway from this passage in the Protestant tradition is that he was told to, but he didn't. He didn't have to. Once he saw Jesus, once he was in the presence of Jesus, his exclamation, my Lord and my God, married or put together the Jesus of history, the one he'd walked with for three years, and the Christ of eternity, the Messiah. So, so this moment put those two together in Thomas's life, and his faith, of course, emerged. But he's called Doubting Thomas because of his statement that he wouldn't believe unless he saw um, and Jesus' words one, are, you one, me, not you touched me. Right. Yeah, You now you see me. Yeah, Emily, was that you? Yeah, one thing I like about that passage is Jesus saying, demonstrating that he knew what Thomas said, even though Thomas wasn't there. I Absolutely. love that. Absolutely. Uh, and, and the other disciples goes, how did he know that? <laughs> Um, he knows everything, and and he he individually came to Thomas in his doubts, in his anxiety, and he said, "Believe, don't don't disbelieve anymore. Believe." And then he extended that blessing to us when he said, "Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe." It's like Thomas is the example for of transformation for us because he said what all of us would like to say. I sure would like to see the nail prints. I sure would like to, to see the hole in the side. I sure would like to, to see historical Jesus and let me and my faith and my spirit put historical Jesus along with Christ, the Messiah, I, he, he sort of said what all of us are thinking. And God puts this story in the Bible to say that Jesus had patience with him. 
He didn't condemn him for this. He came to him in that disbelief or this, this skepticism. He came to him in the midst of it. And he said, don't, don't disbelieve anymore. Now you can believe. But there's going to be some people who read this story. And they're going to believe because Jesus came to you in your disbelief. And the transformation story continues. We'll look at more of it on Sunday and, um, and sort of um, uh, make some observations then.